Good morning, Woodmont. We continue to press forward in this Lenten season. It's hard to believe that uh, next Sunday will be Palm Sunday and two weeks from today is Easter. Would you join me for a word of prayer as we begin today? Loving God, open our hearts and minds to hear a word from you and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Exactly one year ago, almost to the day, future Hall of Fame quarterback Tom Brady shocked the sports world when he announced that he would be leaving the New England Patriots, a team uh, that he had uh, been with for many years and he had won uh, six Super Bowls with the Patriots. He was becoming a free agent. Brady, often referred to as the GOAT, the greatest of all time, was now on the market and teams were after him. For a while, there were even rumors that he was coming here to play for the Titans, but those ended up not being true. Well, we all know now that Brady landed uh, in Tampa Bay to play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who had been struggling uh, for quite some time. But not only did he land in Tampa, he also was able to recruit uh, a number of good players to come there, including his, his old tight end, Rob Gronkowski, who came out of retirement. But he did the unthinkable. Tom Brady led the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in his very first season there to a Super Bowl victory, which was his seventh. And he may not even be done. So this year, just back in February, if there was ever any doubt that Tom Brady was the GOAT when it came to NFL football, he put those doubts to rest when they beat the Kansas City Chiefs. What many people don't know about Tom Brady is that he doesn't just step on the field and win. He works at it. He trains hard. He studies film. He builds very strong bonds and friendships with his teammates. And all of that together has allowed him to win seven, yes, seven Super Bowls, which is truly remarkable. Back in 2015, I went to Tom Brady's old city, Boston, to take a class up at Harvard that was called Managing Yourself and Leading Others. And that class was, was very uh, eye-opening and beneficial. We studied topics like leadership, influence, emotional intelligence, trust, building relationships, and lots of other things. And what I quickly discovered is that managing yourself is just as hard, if not even more difficult, than leading others. All of us have to work very hard when it comes to managing ourselves. This was also true for Jesus' disciples. As we continue our journey through Mark's gospel, it becomes very clear that power in the kingdom of God is very different from power in this world. Power in the kingdom of God comes through humility and service and sacrifice. 
Power in this world comes from money and influence and connections. In Christianity, what we find is an inverse psychology, which is why discipleship is so challenging. It's not for everybody. Like James and John in our gospel reading today, many of us are confused about what it involves. James and John, we're still thinking of Jesus's kingdom as being an earthly one, a political one. And they wanted to hold a position of power. They wanted to know if they were going to be important and influential in Jesus's new world order. And when the other disciples hear this, of course they get angry and they get frustrated because James and John wanted special treatment, priority, preference over the others. They felt privileged. Well, we can act like this. We can say, give me a position so that I can show you that I'm important. But Jesus says, you wanna be important in life? Humble yourself and go serve. Then you'll be important. James and John wanted power, status, but they still didn't understand the type of kingdom that Jesus was talking about. In his classic book, With Love and Prayers, Headmaster Tony Jarvis talks about the the challenge of leadership. He says, whatever power a leader has is overshadowed by the second guessing and criticism that he receives for the decisions that he makes. Leadership does not confer happiness. Jarvis says at the heart of all leadership at any age is character, the courage to cling tenaciously to a vision, the grit to exhaust yourself in helping others share that vision, and the toughness to endure the blame for every difficulty along the way. When I think of great Christian leaders, I think about the words of the Apostle Paul that he writes to Philippians. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. This is challenging. This is the heart of discipleship. Today, I wanna talk about Christian leadership and the Christian life, but specifically, I wanna talk about Jesus's concept of what it means to be great. I wanna talk about Jesus's understanding of how we influence other people based on these readings from Mark's gospel. First of all, Jesus says, that in order to be great, we must first be servants, willing to lead by example, willing to do what we are asking other people to do. In the ninth chapter of Mark, we have a situation where the disciples are arguing among themselves about who is the greatest. And finally, Jesus sits them down and he says, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and a servant to all. You see, Mark constantly depicts the disciples as not fully getting it. Jesus is always having to explain things to this group of 12. Throughout his life, Jesus taught a revolutionary concept 
of leadership that is referred to or called servant leadership. He believed that we can only become great when we are first a servant. And Jesus doesn't ask the disciples to do anything that he himself is not willing to do. In the 10th chapter of Mark, after James and John have requested that they be able to sit at the right and left hand of Jesus in his kingdom, Jesus gets angry with them. He gets frustrated. He says, among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lorded over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, in our world today, we need to pay attention to these words of Christ because real leaders are servants. And they don't stop being servants when they get elected or hired to a certain position. Robert Greenleaf wrote an amazing book back in 1977 called Servant Leadership. It's worth uh, reading. And in that book, he asked the question, who is the servant leader? He says, the servant leader is servant first. It begins with the natural feeling that one wants to serve and then conscious choice brings one to aspire to lead. That person is sharply different, Greenleaf says, from the one who is leader first. He says that servant leaders must constantly ask whether or not the greatest needs of other people are being met. Are they growing as a person? Are they becoming healthier, wiser, freer, more autonomous, and more likely to become servants themselves? Servant leadership becomes contagious because it sets the example of unselfishness. It is the way of unselfishness. I love how William Barclay puts it. He says, every economic problem could be solved if leaders live for what they could do for others and not just for what they could do for themselves. Every political problem would be solved if the ambition of leaders was only to serve the state and not to enhance their own personal prestige. The divisions and disputes which often tear the church apart would for the most part be solved if the only desire of its leaders and members was to serve without caring about which position they occupied. When Jesus spoke of the supreme greatness and value of the leader whose ambition was to be a servant, he laid down one of the greatest practical truths that the world has ever heard. Being great in the kingdom of God means serving others, tending to the needs of others. You simply cannot lead if you're not willing to serve. Secondly, Jesus says that in order to be great, we must be more concerned with the common good than with pushing our own agenda. And this can be challenging because many of us feel very strongly about what we want or what we believe. In both Mark 9 and 10, Jesus says, whoever wants to be first must be a servant of all and not just of a few, servant of all. What are the greatest threats to leaders in our world today? Gandhi warned of what he called the, the seven blunders. He said, wealth without work, pleasure without conscience, 
knowledge without character, commerce without morality, science without humanity, worship without sacrifice, and politics without principle. It's a pretty good start, things for us to think about. As a growing number of people in our world, especially politicians, become very wealthy, many of them seem to lose their sense of connection to the people that they were elected to serve, as well as a sense of fairness and justice and compassion. Populism is what happens when people feel ignored by the political elites, regardless of their party. Populism is what happens when people don't feel like their voice matters anymore. A few weeks ago, we were talking about greed. Jesus knew that the greed is a slippery slope and it often causes people to lose that desire to give back and to help others. And they find themselves spending all of their money on themselves. And nobody ever thinks that they are greedy. It's always somebody else who's greedy. At the end of the day, are we concerned with the common good? Are we concerned with what benefits all and not just a few? As Jonathan Sachs puts it in that book, Morality, he says, it's about us, not me. It's about we, not I. And Jesus is always calling us to raise that question. Third, being great, according to Jesus, means that we must learn what it means to deny self, and then we must go and practice it. In Mark 8, Jesus says, if any want to become my followers, let them deny self, take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. And guess what? Denying self is completely countercultural. If you haven't noticed, we live in a world that is all about self. But denying self simply means that we've learned to live for others, that we've learned to live for God. And to be frank, the reason that so many people, I think, are not up for the challenge of discipleship is because they are completely wrapped up in themselves. And sadly, many people don't even know it. They're not even aware of it. If we want to have a successful marriage, we have to deny self. If we want to raise healthy, well-balanced children, we have to deny self. If we want to have real friends in life, not just superficial friends, but real friends, then we have to deny self. If we want to be great in the kingdom of God, we have to deny self. And that is becoming more and more difficult in our narcissistic culture, our social media-driven culture. Jesus is calling us to sacrifice for others, to live for others, and to be selfless, not selfish. Fourth, being great, according to Jesus, means that we must live our lives trusting in God, recognizing that we are not in control. And that's really hard for some of us. The prophet Micah 
raises the question, what does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. If you climb up to the top of the 556-foot Washington Monument in Washington, D.C., you will find the words Laos Deo inscribed on the aluminum cap, which when translated means praise be to God. Our nation was founded by godly leaders, and it was predominantly a Christian nation for the first 200 years or so. Today, we have Christians, we have Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, Sikhs, and people of all different kinds of religions, and people who have no religion or choose to not have a religion. And although we honor the separation of church and state, we should honor that. That means we don't force or impose religion on anybody. We still strive to be a godly nation led by moral leaders. Values matter, character matters, honesty matters, integrity matters. And godly leaders have compassion for the poor and the hungry and the outcasts. They have compassion for those who live in poverty and godly leaders have compassion for the weak and the powerless and they will do whatever they can to help those who are less fortunate. Being great according to Jesus means being a peacemaker, not a troublemaker, and remaining committed to unity and justice for all. I love those words of Alex de Tocqueville after he visited America centuries ago, and then he wrote that classic book, Democracy in America. He said this, he said, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, but it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her fertile fields and boundless forests, but it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her rich mines and her vast world commerce, but it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her public school system and her institutions of learning, but it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her democratic Congress and her matchless constitution, but it was not there. De Tocqueville said, not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. Being great, according to Jesus, means carrying out the will of God, bringing God's kingdom here to earth. Lastly this morning, the final point that I want to make. Being great, according to Jesus, means that we must strive to the best of our ability to be humble, to live a humble life. Jesus is very clear that his kingdom, his way, is very different from the kingdoms of this world. It's always been. The kingdom of the world crucified him. He asks James and John, can you drink from the cup that I drink and be baptized from the cup which I am baptized? Can you do that? They don't understand what he's asking them. He reminds us that life is about more than making a profit. It's about more than climbing the social ladder. 
It's about more than collecting lots of toys and getting people to like you and getting recognized and getting followers on Facebook and Instagram. There's more to life than that. Jesus' kingdom is about humility and mercy, compassion, generosity, love, peace, and crucifying the ego with all of its desires. It's about loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. It takes ongoing humility to follow Jesus. We fall short all the time. We need grace. We need to stand up for what we believe in with courage and conviction. We need to pray on a regular basis to connect with God. And we need to look to Christ as our guide, as our example, as our hope, our strength, and our peace. James and John wanted positions of power and status. They were asking for that. And Jesus said, you don't understand. That's not what it's about. If you want to be great, he said, humble yourself and go serve others. Amen.